Good morning, friends. Have you ever been in a place where you just sit and watch people as they go about their daily activities? It sounds a little creepy if you think about it, but I'm sure that we've all engaged in that activity that people call people watching. Depending on your view, you may see all sorts of things. There may be a couple walking, holding hands. I confess that one of my favorite things to see is an elderly couple walking hand in hand. It makes me think of the life full of memories and love that they must have created together. You may witness a young mother with a child, and that reminds me of my three kids. You may witness uh, someone wearing your favorite team's colors, and that reminds you of your alma mater and those have who have impacted your life in a positive way. Or maybe you see a person studying their Bible at a table in the local coffee shop, and you're impressed by the way that person practices his or her faith. We're able to witness many positive things in the world time and time again if we just sit back and watch. But in the watching, we may also witness things that remind us that all is not well with the world. There may be moments and things that come into view that make us wonder, where is God? Why is there so much brokenness? We may think, why does the world seem so far from God? You may see someone who struggles with alcohol walking out of the liquor store. And despite the problems they have, they always have that little brown bag in their hand. You may see a child throwing a fit because he or she wants that toy that their father won't purchase them. And not only will the father not purchase the toy, but he yells at the child, you already have too many toys and your toy box is overflowing. Maybe you witness two people who used to be madly in love now entering a courtroom with their lawyers. Where they used to walk hand in hand, they're now separated by their legal representatives. As we move about this world, it's easy to see a certain level of brokenness. This manifests in consumerism, in ended relationships, in physical harm, in people who always seem to seek their own self-interest rather than loving neighbors and seeking to identify with those on the margins. When we look at today's passage, we see Jesus teaching this message of what the kingdom of God looks like, and we see him teaching it anew. See, Jesus has just finished healing the sick and casting out demons and making those who are broken whole again. Where he has previously shown what the kingdom looks like, he now teaches what the kingdom will look like. The first section of this passage, which Pastor Phil read for us, is usually referred to as the Beatitudes. And this word Beatitudes literally refers to the first two words that we find in these statements. Blessed are. Unfortunately, blessed is actually a poor translation because of the way in which we understand the word blessed in contemporary English. The Greek word makarios is the word that's translated as blessed. And this doesn't mean that God will bless the people who display these characteristics, at least not in some uh, materialistic or worldly fashion. But rather, this, world, uh, this word means that those who display these characteristics are to be congratulated. They're people who will find fulfillment. These aren't the superstitious words of the prosperity gospel, do this and you'll be blessed materialistically, but rather recommendations for how to live a life of discipleship to its full intrinsic goodness and the best results. 
These Beatitudes outline the attitudes of the true disciple, the one who has accepted the demands of God's kingdom, in contrast with the attitudes of the person of the world. The results of these attitudes are then spelled out in the second half of each statement. Jesus first calls us to identify with those who are broken. Jesus begins not by ridiculing those who are struggling or those who are hurting, but he sees their pain and announces that they will be blessed even in the midst of their struggle. Have you ever been in a place where you feel broken due to the broken situation that you're in? If not, perhaps you can look to someone in your life, and if not in your life, maybe you know someone in the community who seems to be broken and without hope. If you want a scriptural example of this, just read the Psalms. There are so many Psalms that lament suffering and persecution and oppression. A homeless person might be poor in spirit without hope when all the shelters are closed and she's sitting looking at her children on the park bench with nowhere to turn. Perhaps those children felt poor in spirit and broken when they got off the bus and made it home only to discover that their parents were one of nearly 700 individuals seized by federal immigration and customs enforcement agents. Poor in spirit, not knowing where their next meal would come from. Poor in spirit, not knowing who would care for them. Or perhaps a whole group of people like African Americans feel poor in spirit, hopeless, broken, when yet another senseless murder is added to those slain by police officers. I think of an aunt, a daughter, a sister, a caregiver to her mother, a woman who just moments before her death was playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew. A Tatiana Jefferson was simply shot for being black in her mother's home while looking through a window at a police officer who seemed to shoot first and ask questions later. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When will someone rise up and simply say, enough is enough? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's good to know that even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, even when evil shows its face, even when sorrow creeps in and calamity strikes again and again and again, that Jesus proclaims that brokenness won't always last. Jesus announces that trouble won't always last. If eternal life begins for us here and now, if the Beatitudes impact the world we live in right now, then how will we seek to bring a little glimpse of heaven for those who are struggling and hurting and feeling hopeless. How will we identify? We're not only called to identify with those who experience the brokenness of the world, we're called to inherit what God has for us. Once we identify with the hurting and the lost and the least and the few, we see that God has a promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This doesn't refer to those who are bereaved, but rather those who are suffering and whose lives are, from a worldly perspective, an unhappy one. Through the work of the Messiah, these individuals will find comfort and consolation, which transcends their worldly condition. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And when I think of meek, I think of someone who's a leader, but someone who has a great understanding of humility and concern for others. In the world we live in and our political climate, meekness does not seem to be high on the radar of some leaders. 
those in power often look for ways to remain in power. Being in power is fine and holding a high office is admirable. Yet to do so without meekness, without humility, without a sense of obligation for all people is dangerous. But the meek are those who do not seek to throw their weight around, but rather trust God to give them their due. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This refers to those who desire to have a personal relationship of obedience and trust in God. The word righteousness here does not refer to the concept of social justice as it often does in scripture, but rather to a desire for personal holiness in God's eyes. And the promise here is that if somebody truly hungers and thirsts after God, then God will fill and satisfy that person with his presence. This echoes God's words to his people in the Old Testament that they would find him if they sought him with all their heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The merciful are those who are generous, who forgive others, and whose compassion for the suffering is openly obvious. This beatitude demonstrates the reciprocal nature of mercy. Those who show mercy to others will receive mercy. And this is consistent with what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're praying, forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. Show us mercy in the same way that we show mercy to others. The merciful will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity in heart refers to those who are morally upright and have a single-minded devotion to God. These are individuals who love God with all of their heart, with an undivided loyalty, and whose inward character matches their outward actions. Whereas we can't see or fully experience God on this side of the new heaven and the new earth, those who are pure in heart can experience God's presence and experience intimate fellowship with him here and now. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When I think of peacemakers, I look at a man named Martin Luther King Jr. There was one time when Dr. King was at a mass meeting and he saw people scrambling and whispering around him. People dashed in and out of the doors of the church. and Finally, he went to his three closest associates and asked them what was going on, only to discover that his home had been bombed with his wife and daughter at home. Upon arriving at home, he found throngs of people in the street and the police using force in hopes of dispersing the gathering. The situation was tense. We've seen things like that in recent days. Dr. King ran into his home to ensure that his wife and baby girl were unharmed. When he came back out, he looked at the police commissioner and the mayor, and King remembered the mayor saying something about his regret for the unfortunate incident that took place in the city. One of King's church trustees responded by saying, You may express your regrets, but you must face the fact that your public statements created the atmosphere for this bombing. This is the end result of your get-tough policy. Again, a very tense situation. But while all this was taking place, Dr. King walked onto his front porch, or what remained of it, and he began to address the crowd. When he began to speak, a sudden hush came over everyone, and King encouraged the people not to respond to violence with violence. 
He implored them to love their enemies, to do good to them, and not to live by the sword. Dr. King in that moment modeled for us what a peacemaker looks like. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When an individual's life is fully oriented toward God, it attracts attention by virtue of its countercultural nature. And this countercultural behavior could result in persecution. In order for this persecution to be blessed, though, it must be for righteousness' sake, not just because of personal misbehavior. There are a lot of people who seem to think that they're persecuted for righteousness' sake when they're really just persecuted for being a jerk. We've been hearing a lot about cancel culture lately, right? And there seems to be confusion about this. It's not cancel culture when you just get the consequences of being a jerk. Being persecuted for being a jerk is not blessed. But when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Dr. Craig Blomberg, a renowned New Testament scholar, said that the Beatitudes are a complete inversion of the attitude popularly known in our culture as machismo. In fact, this attitude is not limited to a particular culture, but characterizes humanity's self-centered, self-arrogating pride, which invariably seeks personal security and survival above the good of others. Boy, do we see this machismo attitude these days or what? We need to look no further than some people's attitudes toward wearing face masks during the pandemic. They refuse to wear a mask and protect others simply because they don't want to. And they call anyone who does wear a mask a wimp or a coward or some other derogatory name. The Beatitudes are the opposite of this selfish attitude of machismo. And like Jesus says in the last two Beatitudes, we may find ourselves being persecuted and reviled if we display this countercultural attitude. We are called to make a difference. We are called to have an impact. When we embody what the Beatitudes call us to, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Christians are told to have an impact. It's not an option, it's a mandate. And if we identify with those who are hurting, we will have an impact. And if we seek to inherit what God has for us in the life to come, we will have an impact. Jesus follows up this list of Beatitudes with a call to be salt and light in the world. And if we're salt and light in the world, our impact will be undeniable. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be the salt of the earth, then go for it. But if not, no worries. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you feel like it, go be the light of the world. Jesus simply says that his followers are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. One of the main reasons that we named this church Beacon is because of our desire for this community to reflect the light of the world, Jesus Christ, into our society and into our culture. There's a lot of darkness in our world, and we're called to help shine the light of Christ into those areas of darkness. 
We are called to shine the light into the darkness of xenophobia, into the darkness of nationalism, into the darkness of racism, into the darkness of white supremacy, into the darkness of economic oppression, into the darkness of police brutality, into the darkness of violence, into the darkness of war. Let us shine our light. In biblical days as of now, salt was used as a preserving agent. In hopes that things wouldn't spoil, they used salt in large quantities to preserve the food that they had. There's a preservative component that we're called to have when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world desires to do what it does, but to be salt means that we seek to preserve Jesus's ministry and his teachings regardless of where the world goes, regardless of where portions of the church may go. When we encounter situations that go against the teachings of Jesus, we must preserve his teachings by proclaiming the word of God. If we encounter someone struggling with sin, we must proclaim that the gospel can transform his or her life. If only they will repent and believe. There will be times when we fall short. There will be times when we struggle to be holy. In those moments of weakness, may we pray that God will make us salt once again. And may we pray that Jesus would preserve our relationship with him. During the season of Lent, what is it that Jesus is calling us to? What in our lives might spoil our relationship with God? See, part of the reality is, is this. With lack of salt, not only do things spoil, but things don't taste as good. I really like soft pretzels, right? But they don't taste right without salt. It just doesn't taste right without the salt, does it? But with the right amount of salt, they taste perfect every time. They're delicious. Our Christian journeys can be like that from time to time. When we don't do what's right, it's like we throw something on the plate without adding enough salt. If the world fails to speak up or speak out against unrighteousness, we need to speak out. We need to be the salt. If the world fails to be humble, we need to be the salt and show what humility looks like. The world needs our saltiness. Friends, what would it look like if we always proclaimed the peace of Christ in the midst of turmoil? What would our communities look like if we always fed the hungry and clothed the naked? Every time we feed the hungry, we are the salt of the earth. Every time we clothe the naked, we are the salt of the earth. Each time we speak out for justice in the midst of an unjust situation, we are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? If a Christian is silent when we need to speak, or if we fail to bring that little glimpse of God's kingdom into the world, what good is our faith? People of God, as we continue through this journey of Lent, let us reflect on how Jesus calls us to live. Let us be salt and light. Let us embrace the Beatitudes. For if we can do these things, then ours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these teachings which Jesus has given us on how to be his disciples. We know that we're often far from the characteristics and attitudes which Jesus outlines in these Beatitudes. Father, please form us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we reflect all of these blessed realities. 
Let us not fall into the machismo of our culture, but display the countercultural attitudes of the Beatitudes, that we may be light in a world that walks in darkness and salt in a world that struggles to find flavor in life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.